Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. Good morning. How are you today? Allie already took the poll and everybody said they had a good July 4th of July, so I'm just going to leave it at that. What Allie forgot is if that uh, 4th of July lands on a Thursday, people at the post office stuff to work on Friday, and that's just terrible. Anybody else have to go to work on Friday? Oh, my goodness. Did it feel like Monday? Yeah. Well, bless your heart. We appreciate you guys. Welcome to Yes First. We are uh, a church that believes in Jesus, and we're preaching through books of the Bible. We are Jesus followers, and so we want to know what Jesus did, how he lived, and what he was like. So right now we are going through the book of Mark, which is a story about Jesus' life. Um, it's a narrative. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John kind of all tell the same story. Um, they're great, great to read during this time because you really get a perspective of what's going on. Um, and we're actually on the, the home stretch of Mark. Um, we're getting right into where he goes into the crucifixion, which most of us are probably uh, familiar with in one way or another. Um, the interesting thing during this time is you get to really look into uh, maybe some little tiny things that happen around it that maybe you didn't notice before. And so we're going to do that today. Um, but we're glad you're here, whether it's your uh, first time or 5,000th time, doesn't matter. You can be here and not even be a believer, and we're glad you're here. Welcome. Um, so uh, we are excited. Anybody else excited? All right, that's excited. I'm excited because after this, I'm going to get in the car and take my kids to California, and uh, we're going to have a party. Get excited about that. Okay, all right. So here we go. Let's start. Uh, Mark chapter 14 and verse 1. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While they're in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure, pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of the people present saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leaving her alone, said, Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. It's powerful. It cuts us deep, God, and I pray more than anything that your presence and your power be revealed in our lives. We pray like you asked us to pray, that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Be here in this moment, in this place, and speak to us like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm, so quiet in here today. You guys are all partied out? I feel like my kids, like at 11 o'clock at night, after blowing everything up, and Allie fed them full of sugar all day. 
And you guys are like, can we just go to bed? Anybody ready? Are you ready? Okay, here we go. The, uh, the world is concerned with this thing called value. Uh, there's even like a whole brand called Great Value. Uh, we all want our money's worth, right? And we feel wrong when we don't get our money's worth. We feel wrong when we don't get out of something what we put in. Am I right? Marriages end, business partnerships end, all sorts of relationships end when somebody doesn't hold up to their end of the bargain. It's all about value. Value is an incredible thing. As a matter of fact, if you exceed people's expectations when it comes to value, you will create a business that is sustainable. This is what happens at places like Disney. They want to create a magical, magical experience where you go and you go, wow, even the trash cans had a theme here. You know what I mean? When you go to Chick-fil-A, people will give you stuff and say, it's their pleasure to serve you. And you're like, wow, this is so valuable. The only time Chick-fil-A is not valuable is on Sunday when you really want some chicken nuggets and they are closed, right? And you know, you know like places McDonald's, like McDonald's don't necessarily give you value. They just give you what you want, but you keep going there anyway because it's so good. You're like, I don't know. I, I, there's nothing else I want. And the truth is they put crack in those chicken nuggets and that's why they keep you coming. They don't give you any value. There's no nutritional value in it, but they give you little toys sometimes that they get your kids hooked, and then they pump them full of drugs. It's true, and I still go there. Come on, Chick-fil-A to Excelsior Springs. Yes, Lord. Value is an interesting thing. Value is what businesses want to try to create for people. I was listening to a guy talk about his business, and he says, when it comes to making the customer happy when they are not happy, he gives all of his, uh, his staff up to $2,000 to make it right. Could you imagine walking in and be like, I'm not happy, and they're like, hey, we'll give you five nights free at the hotel. I'd be like, yes, Lord, I'm coming back to his hotel every single time. It's about the value. Value is an interesting thing because we analyze our lives by value. You hear people say like, uh, I'm not gonna do that because this one is cheaper. I can get more bang for my buck over here. Right? When it comes to sales, when it comes to shopping, whatever that is, value is an incredible thing that we love to be a part of. And, and here's what happens in this particular story. Jesus walks into a house of Simon the leper, and, and uh, he's hanging out with a bunch of kind of religious dignitaries, and they're all doing their thing. And it's, it's, it's in this town called Bethany. Now, there's some important Bible characters that, that uh, live in Bethany, and they are the family of Lazarus. Remember Lazarus? He's the one who is Jesus' friend, and he died. And he was dead for four days. And Jesus comes and he cries about Lazarus being dead and then raises him from the dead. Like, I, it's one of those confusing passages in the Bible. Everybody has a theory about it. But I don't know why Jesus cries about a guy he's going to raise from the dead. But he just does. Maybe it was overwhelming. I don't know. But Lazarus has two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha were part of this interaction with Lazarus. As a matter of fact, when Jesus shows up, Martha is kind of pissed off at, at Jesus. And she's like, if you had been here sooner, when we called you to come, he was sick. We called you. You didn't come. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Jesus just kind of hung out and did what he was doing in the, in the particular town and kind of made himself late. And Martha says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Have you ever been that way? If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then she says, nevertheless, even now, you can raise him from the dead. 
And that's exactly what Jesus does. Mary is her sister, and after this whole debacle, they're hanging out, and Martha's making dinner for Jesus after church, and, and Mary's just kind of hanging out and, and just sitting at Jesus' feet and, and listening to him talk about the kingdom and listening to him talk about God and, and who he is and, and what's going on. And, and, and Martha gets a little upset. She's angry, and she walks in and says, Jesus, why don't you tell Mary to help me? As if Jesus is like the ultimate hall monitor, like he's got to keep track of everybody and make sure they're all doing what they're supposed to do. Mary, get in there and cook with your sister. No, he doesn't say that. He says, Martha, Martha, right? Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen the better thing. So you're busy about many things, but Mary has chosen the better thing. And this is the relationship that Jesus has with this particular family, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. And so when we look at this story, it's, it's across all four Gospels of Jesus going into this house at Bethany, and it says that Lazarus is there, the one whom Jesus raised from the dead. And it also says in a couple different accounts that Mary and Martha are there. And scholars would agree that, that this particular woman that came in and started anointing Jesus was Mary. It was Mary, the brother or the sister of Lazarus. And she comes in and she begins to pour oil on Jesus' head. And in John, it says that she went as far as to pour it on his feet. And then she went as far as to wipe off the oil with her hair. Now, the custom in this time is that when you go to somebody's house, um, it is natural for, for them to allow you a place and uh, whatever is needed to freshen up. Okay, Because if you do not, you're walking out in dirt. I mean, you're walking in places where there are uh, chariots and horses and animals, and they are all just going all over the place. And you're walking in nearly bare feet in your sandals, and you're walking around in dust, and everything's kicking up. So it's appropriate when somebody comes into your house, especially to eat, to give them a place to wash up. In one account, Jesus even says that Simon does not give him any water to wash his feet with. Interesting, isn't it? That somebody would reject Jesus just by the simple act of not allowing him a place to wash his feet. So they're all sitting around having dinner, and this woman just like walks in the party. Walks in the party. She doesn't say anything. She doesn't like, hey, if there's a certain time, I'd like to, you know, anoint Jesus. She didn't like pull Simon aside and say, hey, if there's a time where I can, you know, uh, you know just, just do a little special thing and say something before Jesus dies, wouldn't that be great? He doesn't do that. She just charges in the party, walks in, and starts pouring oil on Jesus' head. Now, first of all, if you walk in and do anything pouring stuff on my head, we're done. Okay? I don't like stuff <laughs> pouring on my head. I don't like, you know... People touching me. <laughs> like, get off me. All right? And this woman just comes in and starts pouring oil on Jesus' head. So, of course, all these uh, other guys in the room, including Judas, are all sitting around. And they start to maybe whisper and talk, or maybe they're talking out loud, whatever it is. And Judas looks at this whole thing and goes, you know, that perfume is very expensive. Don't you think we should take that perfume and do something more valuable with it? Do something more 
valuable. After all, it's like almost a year's wages. And I looked it up how much it was because everybody says it's a year's wages and all of that. But uh, one account says that it's 300 denarii. Okay, now I, I went back. I'm, I'm kind of a nerd about this kind of stuff. I want to know like how that world translates to this world. That's what I'm into. Okay, so I go back and I look how much is the denarius or the denarii, denarii. So that's the, it's, it's like plural Elvis. You don't know what you're supposed, is it Elvi, Elvises, what? So it's denarii, denarii, denarius, something like that. So it says in one account that it's 300 denarius for the for perfume. So I looked up and how much denarius was and, and how that, it says, so basically 100 denarii is about, $30,000 American. This perfume costs 300 denarii. So it says it's more than a year's wages, but it's actually about $90,000 American. I mean, you thought a Gucci belt was expensive, but I mean, this perfume is expensive, right? $90,000 for a bottle of perfume, and she comes in, and she pours it on his head. And then she goes as far as to pour it on his feet. And I, I, I can just imagine, maybe it's such an overwhelming feeling about who Jesus is and what's going on in this moment. She just begins to take her hair and just wipe his feet with her hair. Feces, dirt, feet, corn chip stank. All of it doesn't matter. She is wiping his feet with her hair. Judas, I can imagine maybe something, you know, like when somebody does something that you just, you, you try to take it for a while. It just like comes up and you're like, uh, yep. No, I'm not going to take that. Wouldn't that money be served somewhere else better? Wouldn't, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be like more valuable to like give it away and feed a bunch of people? And Jesus, I, I can imagine like, you know, he's a holy guy. He's perfect. He's supposed to say, oh, yeah, of course, we should probably take this and don't waste it on my feet. Let's give it away. Let's, let's supply it to the ministry. Let's do something great with this money. That would make him righteous in most of our eyes today if it wasn't Jesus, upstanding, that we didn't just waste it. And he looks at the people and says, look, one place he says, Simon, you didn't even offer me something to clean up with, and this woman has not stopped washing my feet. Mm. It's pretty crazy, the perspective we have of value. She comes in with a year's wages of oil and drops it on Jesus because her sense of value is in doing something that lasts a moment. It's interesting, like every time me and Allie like, co-preach on Sundays, she preaches about something and she talks about value. The most amazing thing about firecrackers is that they're gone like that. They don't even really offer like that much excitement unless there's a bunch of people lighting off fireworks and you can get it right underneath their butt while they're bent over. That's exciting. It's even better when it's your daughter. 
but something that's gone an instant. And the oil doesn't last. I mean, it lasts for a little bit, right? Oil lasts. It stays on your hands. It stays on your head. Whatever. But Jesus says, this woman has anointed me for my burial. What? I mean, Jesus has been talking about dying, but here's Mary. She comes in and she anoints him. And I don't even know if Mary even knows that what she's doing. Jesus like, she anointed me for my burial. And it's like this year's wage is going to be gone in an instant. Except for, Jesus says, wherever the gospel is preached, they'll talk about this woman. They'll talk about this value. They'll talk about this action. Why? Because it's so defining and it can change a world and it can change a generation. It can change ages to come and it has and it will forever. When we get a taste of what it's like when we take the value of what God has done in our life and return it back to him. As a matter of fact, people don't quite get what she's doing because they can't understand where she's coming from. They can't understand this moment, this time, what is happening. Because here's Mary. You can imagine, like, her brother was dead and now alive. Crazy. Crazy. There's stories about maybe that she was healed. And, and, and there's stories about a woman that comes in and seven demons were cast out of her. And maybe that was this Mary. We're not certain. But the things that God has done in her life is a reflection of her response of value. See, everybody else in the room, they can't quite get it because their perspective of dependency on Jesus is very, very minuscule. The dependency that they have on who he is in this moment and what he can do or has done or will do, will do is very, very minuscule. And so instead of depending on Jesus and seeing the beauty of the value that he brings, all they can do is Judge the actions of others. Mm, that's deep. That's deep. Isn't it amazing how sometimes when you begin to point the finger at the other people and what they're doing and how they're doing it and how they're worshiping God and what they're giving to God, isn't it interesting that in those times, and if you go back, you'll probably realize that it's the times when you are doing the least. When you have forgotten who God is. And you're not depending on him at all, as the Bible would call it, leaning on your own understanding. And so you go, oh, you're not supposed to do it that way. Let me show you how you do it over here. This is working really great. You just have to give Jesus a little bit and not give him everything. After all, here is the son of God sitting here. And we're not going to give him a year's worth of perfume. We're just going to give him a little bit. That's all he would really need, right? It's the same attitude of like, when we get hung up on tithing, this is, the, this is the deal with tithing. We get hung up, we go, oh, 10% is a lot. I got this, I got nine kids, and you know, whatever that is. When we're tithing, we start to go, that should be enough. That should be enough, okay? And when we indicate that the tithe is actually a reflection of the heart, what happens is this. In the New Testament, Paul says, uh, establish in your heart what you should give. And the reason why he says establish in your heart what you should give is because at this point in your experience of Jesus giving his life for you, you should give your life for him. It's an exchange. 
It's the exchange of value, and that's just reflected in money. Now, here's Mary. What's happening is this is at a critical time in the whole history of Christianity. It is right at the separating point between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's right at the separating point between law and grace. Because Jesus hasn't died yet, nobody's even really saved. Nobody's even really saved yet. They're just kind of hanging out, waiting for Jesus to come and redeem everybody. And so what's happening is that they're all thinking from a perspective of law. They're all thinking of a perspective of, she's going to do what? With a year's wages of perfume? Does she not realize that what she could do could be so much valuable? It would mean so much, so much more to her salvation, her walk with God, if she could just do a good deed with that particular perfume. They're so wrapped up in their idea of being good for God that they can't see the goodness of God in front of them. When Jesus then dies, what happens is, is he brings salvation. And there's a few people, there's a few people that get this perspective of Jesus' free gift of salvation before he ever dies. There's a few people that get it. They can embrace it. They're like, they're like for instance, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He didn't have to do anything. He just believed God. Boom, you're good. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He just believed God and something happened. And then all along then we get caught up in this, this sacrificial system where you have to sacrifice something in order to be right with God. And then there's a few people that come along. A, a, a couple of them are not even Jews. They're just Greeks that come along and they, they begin to interact with Jesus in a way that's like, I know that you have salvation. Nothing else matters but you. And here's Mary, she walks in and she goes, I could do a lot of things with this particular perfume, but all I want to do is worship you. All I want to do is depend on you. All I want to do is get involved with the value that you bring to my life, and that will be enough to worship you. It will be enough to serve you. It will be enough for all of my life. I don't need anything else but you, and here is the proof. And here she is sitting. And everyone else is judging in some way or another what Mary is bringing to Jesus. Because their idea of value is what can you bring to God? Mary's idea of value is it's already been brought to me. And so anything I bring is just a small response to the value that you've given me. And if you miss that in your life, you'll never walk in what God really has for you. As a matter of fact, you don't have to have a year's wages bottle of perfume. You don't have to have diamonds and fancy things. You don't have to have any of that. But you have to have a willing heart that will submit to the goodness of God, that sees God and depends on him. And you can't experience that until something in your life has died like your brother, and go, God, I don't know what you're going to do in this situation. Martha said, if you'd have been here, it'd have been fixed. Mary just stayed quiet and depended on God's goodness to see her through.
in our lives, maybe yours, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I don't You have this choice to see the value that Jesus brings into your life or begin to create your own. It's the value of, I depend on you, God. Everything else has fallen apart. I depend on you. David said it this way. I will remain confident in this, that I will see the goodness of God in my lifetime. That's value. David, the same little shepherd boy that killed one of his best friends in battle, took his wife, had an affair, and God says, he's the man after my own heart. Why? How does that happen? Because he's the one who sees the value in dependency on God. It's a dependence It doesn't look to the outside. It doesn't matter what happens, even though it hurts, even though it's tough, even though there's stuff you got to walk through, even though sometimes it's the pain of the process. But what God is doing is he's showing you, testing you, proving you, saying, I am faithful again and again and again and again and again. And that's what he did for Mary. People will look at you depending on God the way Mary did and judge you for it. Everything I got is yours, God. Everything. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know. It's yours. I don't see. I, I've calculated. I've, I've twisted it. I've done all the math. I don't see, but you see, God. I'm dependent on you. There's some things going forward that are, that are kind of scary for me but I'm dependent on you, God. You can have it all. Dependency on God can feel like you're giving the most expensive bottle of perfume for an instant. But when you depend on God at that level, what happens is your story echoes through eternity and changes the life of people all around you. Wherever the gospel is preached, here we are today talking about Mary bringing her dependency on God and pouring it on him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe you don't have a $90,000 bottle of perfume. But the amazing thing about value is that it comes from your heart what is the most valuable thing. And you have to let God crawl inside you and speak to you about the most valuable thing in your life. And I guarantee you, he's already been speaking to you, asking you, interacting with you about every care. It's almost like he says, Martha, Martha, 
You're concerned about many things. You carry them around, just kind of tip God with your life. You can have this part, God. I'll handle this part. But complete dependency is the truest act of worship. It costs something. It, it is giving worth to God. It says, you are worth everything I have. Some places may hurt. Some places may be tough. But God, God can do amazing things with your complete trust in who he is. Today, you're here to say, Brandon, pray for me. I got some things I know what you're talking about in my life. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you today. Thank you. Complete dependency. Thank you. You're awesome. Complete dependency. Come on, raise your hand. I'll pray for you. Father, we thank you for the goodness of God that leads us to change our mind, to change our heart, to focus ourselves on you. There's some stuff that we're carrying that was never meant to carry. As a matter of fact, some of us have gotten off track because we won't give you everything. We've been judging other people instead of walking our own walk. God, would you do great and mighty things in these people's lives by your power and your grace? Deliver people from things that have set them back, stolen from their life. Give them a new direction. Accelerate them into the next place of their life. Take them to the next level that you have for them because of your goodness and your grace. We know it's a free gift. Forgive us for trying to earn it with little piddly gifts when all you wanted was our heart. We thank you for what you're doing here in this family, in these people's lives. In Jesus' name.